Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews. I am your host, Chris Lukinenko, and I scour this big brand land of ours, looking under fermenters and behind mash tuns to find the best beer stories to share with you. The Beer Healer Interviews is now available on all major podcast services. If you like the show and want to help out, can I ask you to simply rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast service. Just leave a few words and a rating and the podcast gods will do the rest. By doing this, you'll help others to discover the show more easily and hopefully get more people interested in this great industry that we call craft beer. I've got something a little special for you on this episode. I think my guest could be just quietly sitting on top of one of Australian Brewing's best-kept secrets, but no longer. Not if they're appearing on the Beer Healer interviews. Wild ales, brewing and blending, sour beers, these are all the rage with the pointy end of the craft beer market right now. And in Australia, a lot of attention with these styles of beers is focused on a couple of breweries. But today, I want to add one more to the mix. Dollar Bill Brewing and Blending from Ballarat in Victoria. Today I have co-founder and head brewer Ed Noel with me to talk about why him and his co-founder slash wife Fiona are keeping things so quiet about the awesome things they are doing with their Belgian-inspired ales and barrel-aged beers. So welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews, Ed Noel. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. Great to finally catch up with you, mate. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, likewise. And uh, before we get started, let me crack this beer that you sent me. I'll do it on the microphone. Hopefully I don't get things all over the place. <laughs> there we go. And we'll uh, we'll talk about, about this beer in a minute, but uh, first of all, Dollar Bill Brewing. I absolutely love the name and the branding. Where the hell did that come from? Yeah, thank you. It's um, uh, it's, it's a little bit hip hop. It's a little bit uh, art. Oh yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a there's a bigger story to it. But it's um, yeah, I, I kind of fumble my words sometimes. So <laughs> we, that's all right, right? It's hard to get it out. But um, yeah, look, I'm. I love hip hop. We started looking around for for names for our um, kind of brewery or brewing uh, concept a, a long time ago, two or three years ago, or two, two about two years before we started selling. Um, and we fumbled around with all these kind of really organic names and, and bits and pieces, and a lot of them were taken, and a lot of it sounded a little bit too close to the wine industry. And we kind of we really wanted to have a separation from the wine industry, um, so it was. A little bit more uh, flashy, a little bit more uh, cutting edge kind of stuff for edgy, um, and yeah, just went for, for a bit of hip hop and a bit of um, bit of fun. Try not to be. It feels like a, a hip hop song that I can remember from back. What would be like dollar dollar bill, yo, or something like <laughs> no, that would it. be going through that's it. it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who's your, who's your favorite hip hop artist? Ah, oh, look, I've got tons. I'm. I'm Right into Earth Gang at the moment. They're um they're cool. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I still haven't made it out of the nineties pretty much. But <laughs> well, that was the best. That was the um golden era. Wasn't what a it? great year. Yeah. You know what? The the branding reminds me of, of almost like a nineteen nineties um uh CD cover. Yep. For for those listening, kids back in the day we used to buy CDs instead of buying <laughs> all the music via streaming services. But it it feels like it has a bit of a nod, and I'm gonna say something like maybe the no limit records. Um, back in the day, there was a lot of a lot of intricate design in those in those records. It's almost like they first found out that they had Photoshop and they wanted to have all these different little hidden elements within the um, within the, the CD label design themselves. And I feel like this parlay here 
with the guy with the dice in his head holding an eight ball. It's, it feels like it's a bit of a nod to that kind of thing. Is Am I off the track or? No, no, you're, you're right on it. Like our first our first label was for a, um, a cider that we did uh, and we're just kind of testing the waters to see you know, if people were interested in what we were actually producing. Um, it was a little bit bready. It was uh, had some a bit of dry hopping on the end, so it was kind of not, not your average cider. Um, but we also included all these little kind of intricate details in the label with uh, a, a UFO and the hand of Sebaceous and all this stuff. Monarch butterflies, uh, you know, star kind of pictographs and, and symbols and a whole lot of <laughs> symbolism and stuff. So yeah, it's um, it's it's a there's a lot of stuff going on in in our labels. Um, but the guy, no Illuminati uh, um, uh, insignias or anything uh, like that. Well, a little bit. So the the there's a, <laughs> there was a, <laughs> there was um there's a few little bits and pieces in there. If you keep if you look into it a little bit further, you'll see. It's, and it's kind of supposed to represent um, the American dollar bill in, in some way, yeah. So, which you look into it and there's so much going on. And it's, yeah. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Who, who's the artist that does all this? So uh, he's a guy called Craig McGill, um, a bloke who – he was the youngest bloke to do a full country's currency. He did Papua New Guinea's currency probably um, oh, wow. 15, 20 years ago. And he did the first uh, – Australian plastic ten dollar bill. So, um, oh, yeah, he's, he does passport art and everything. Chops. Yeah. Oh wow. I think it was very handy to know someone who could um, do documents for you. So yeah. Well, is he just like a mate of yours that you sort of met on the street or something? <laughs> Fiona. Fiona's great at telling this story. It was actually so. Her sister used to play tennis with him, but we, we were pick, <laughs> picking through artists, and I said I like this guy uh, or this guy, and which one do you like, honey? And she picked the one on the left and I go, all right, do you want to give him a call? His name's Craig McGill. And she goes, I know him. Oh, <laughs> wow. Her sister played tennis with him. So, yeah. How good, mate. They, they are impressive impressive labels. I, I bloody love them. They're, they're absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he's an incredible so, artist. So let's get – you guys have been going for about three years or so now. Yep. How, how did this thing all start for you? Well, we started selling cider. It was um, well, probably before that we um we started making beer and putting in barrels. And uh, our third silent partner, if you have a look on the label, you'll probably see a third uh, signature there. It says myself, my uh, wife, attorney at large, lunar division. Yep. So he's, and font of, oh, your font of all knowledge. I'm, I'm the font of all <laughs> knowledge. That was Craig decided to put me as font of all knowledge. <laughs> Fiona's lunar division. Um, and our third party, our attorney at large, uh, Miguel Sanchez, <laughs> as he likes to be called, <laughs> like a great name. <laughs> he's a um, he's a winemaker down the morning peninsula, um, but he's he's an incredible winemaker. But he, we were lucky enough to I went to high school with him, and we you know we stayed friends throughout our you know adult lives, and we travelled the world a bit together, and uh, we started putting stuff in barrels down the winery, and, and it just grew from there. So, is it your your full time gig now? It's still still sort of a, a little bit on the side, isn't it? Uh yeah, not not in the last month or so. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. But um, no, look, we never we haven't hadn't quite transitioned to it being my full time uh, gig. The the wife Fiona does. Uh, looks after the kids and does all the kind of office work, sales, uh, marketing, a whole heap of work, background scene work that you probably don't consider when you, you start a brewery. You don't understand how much work there is. Yeah. Um, I do all the production side of things, bottling, uh, labeling, uh, you know, blending, brewing, all that. Uh, and we kind of, yeah, we just 
get to get, make it work, you know. Um, we, haven't, <laughs> nice. we haven't transitioned fully yet, but we're both kind of 80% there. So, Was it one of those things where you do, you had your homebrew shit and just kept getting bigger and bigger and all of a sudden, oh, shit, we've got a business? Well, kind of. It was um, – I really, I wasn't enjoying the job I was in at the time um, and I knew that I really wanted to be self-employed and if I could transition that eventually, uh, it would be fantastic. We also had a little bit of, uh, bit of success. We were making some – uh good good beer good quality beer um and it just yeah grew from there to be if I'm right are you actually completely off the grid where you are mm. yes you are our property is yes completely off grid oh wow so i'm pretty lucky to have you on on the line today then <laughs> no nah, it's it's um we get enough sun here it's uh it's <laughs> good cloudy days the generator kicks in i go oh my god and burning diesel again but um yeah we're hoping to transition a bit more we're running on batteries so we okay Run solar power uh, into some uh, beautiful LG Chem lithium ion batteries, which are magnificent, and they're set up beautifully by a, a company called Zen to um, cycle through. So that they don't, they're never, you know, they never discharge, they never fully oh, yeah. uh, burn out, and they just kind of hopefully we'll get a good twenty years out of them, um, oh, nice. possibly. So we'll see. Nice. Yeah. Oh, let's let's give people a bit of an overview of what Dollar Bill actually is, because you actually. Blend more than you brew is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, completely. So, what sparked your interest in sour beers? Well, I think it was um, playing around the winery. We we like to drink a lot of interesting beers. I think the, the probably the the critical beer that I had was uh, a beer by Lover Beer, an Italian brewer, um, which was called Beer Bearer. So he took uh, Barbara grapes. And then co-fermented, or not even co-fermented, he, he inoculated with these grapes uh, and this beer, and it was just magnificent. It was sour, it was complex, it had uh, you know a little bit of fruit kind of coming through, and um, just interest, really interesting to see that you could play in a world where it wasn't wine, and all these faults that you know traditional winemakers would say, "Oh, that's that's terrible. You can't have that. You can't have Britannomyces in your wine, or you can't you can't." You know, it's it's too different. Uh, and then in, in the the beer world, all these faults in the beer world. It's sour. It's you know, it's bready. It's it's all this stuff. The the sour beer world allows you to just play around in that no rules kind of realm. Pretty much anything goes. Yeah, exactly. And the the crazier the better sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so is the is blending beer an art form? Would you say? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. We, we have we had a little catchphrase for a while called. Uh, saying beer is art, um, but yeah, essentially it is. It's um, it's you get out of that sciency realm where you know your normal beers, your straight beers, are quite you know sciency. You, you got set set numbers. You hit those numbers. Uh, repeatability. You do it every time. It's good. It's beautiful science. The science is fantastic. You move into sour beer world where it is quite. Uh, you can't replicate it. You've, it's, it's a little bit spiritual too. You're relying on, you know, the the bugs in the barrels where, you know, there's far more, there's more uh, microbes in one barrel than there is people on the earth kind of thing. Um, and they're yeah. all kind of interacting together. It's just, it, it does it its own thing. So, it, and it's relying on temperature, time, a whole lot of things. It can go from tasting horrible uh, one month to, in the next couple of months, tasting incredible, and you just, and then you can add a little bit of that and a little bit of this, uh, and see how it goes again, and 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 you know influence your blend with a little bit of other interaction. So 
yeah, it's a live product and it, it really comes down to a little bit of luck, art, a little bit of luck um, and almost thinking you know what you do. <laughs> Is it all about having a good palate as well or are there other complementary skills that come along with that? Uh, it's yeah, part of it, definitely. I mean, everyone's palate is different. So it's, that's, uh, I don't know how you say it. it. Each person's so different. So some person's palate, you may say that's a bad palate, but it's not a bad palate. It's just somebody might be particularly, uh, you know, susceptible to, to different flavors. Um, I know, I definitely know I get Fiona to taste everything. I'll get a couple of my mates to taste everything uh, that we blend up just to get some feedback on, you know, what other things are in there that might play into it. So, yeah, it, it helps, but you've just always got to have a, um, a group of people because uh, there's things that you'll miss and there's things that other people miss. So, What excites you about this whole idea of blending beer? Oh, it's, um, it's incredible. The creations that you can make, um, watching it develop uh, and just always striving for something better to get either more more. Britannomy- really good Britannomyces flavors or get a sourness that's uh, deep and beautiful and, and, and gentle without being like too much. It's, um, yeah, just always striving for better. Which brings me beautifully into um, the parlay that I'm enjoying right now. I love the idea that's, you know, the whole idea of taking one thing and turning it into something greater by taking a bit of a gamble. Uh, did you think of that name? Well, that's how I sort of take yeah, take my later. But yeah, what the, the label's supposed to be? Here's what. Yeah. yeah. Did you name this one, or was this Fiona's name? It was a joint joint venture that one? But um, she definitely nice. she definitely wanted uh, the croupier on the front. So yeah, and uh, the the parlay side of things was it was actually uh, more our we went from selling cider uh, and we took the money we had from selling cider uh, and we doubled down on that which is to parlay is to double down and we yep. put it into making some beer and uh, <laughs> I just the, the, the intricacy of your stories is just it's just so awesome and I've just well, I've been sitting here looking at this label as you because you told me there's lots of different stuff in here and that sort of thing and I've just turned around I've noticed I'm just reading the, the notes on it so a red ale aged in a passamento barrels gentle acidity a luscious malt leather tobacco and oxidized tannins Blended fermentation techniques allow for an intense depth of complexity, suggested track. And I love this. Naughty by nature, holiday. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's one of Fiona's favorite, that one. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Taking me back to the 90s when I went and saw Coolio, Naughty yeah. by Nature, and House of Pain in Melbourne at the tennis center, I think it was at the time, <laughs> uh, for that triple concert. Oh, yeah. man, that was a great trip. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Naughty by Nature, one of my favorites. So, yeah. so Fiona shares your love of hip hop too, does she? Yeah, she didn't used to. She's um, definitely come around. I think it, it's like all music, though. You kind of and and beer as well. I guess you just appreciate good things if it's if it's good, if it sounds good. But it's not uh, extremes are kind of sometimes a little bit jarring. You've got to have uh, some balance in there. So yeah, she's, was she a beer lover when you first met, or did you did you train her up? Perhaps yeah, definitely trained up. She was, she yep. was definitely more uh, a wine wine world. Um, she does love a tequila. But <laughs> <laughs> Good on her. <laughs> yeah. But she's, um, yeah, she does. Uh, she's right into her sour beers now and then all beers. Oh. She actually, she's really gotten into pastry sours in the last year and a bit. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Got a question for you. Do you like the show? 
And do you want to help support the industry that we all love by spreading the craft beer gospel far and wide? Well, there is one thing you can do, and it doesn't involve putting your hand in your pocket and pulling out your credit card. Nope, just click the Apple Podcast link in the show notes and leave a review and a rating. The Apple Podcast gods do the rest, and you will feel all warm and fuzzy for doing your bit for craft beer. That's all. Back to the interview. I um, I love the idea of, of wives that don't start off drinking beer, you know, because of their husband's keen interest in it in this crazy thing we call craft beer, yep. getting into it. And I've, I'm always intrigued about how they get into it because my wife is a, you know, a wine drinker, you know, Sav Blanc and, and bubbles are her, her thing. Yep. And, but just lately, I'm after I finish chatting with you today, I'm going to take down the rest of this and get her to try this because she's been loving things, you know, all these these sour beers. And every time I get something, it's like a kettle sour, a gozer, one of, you know, these barrel-aged ferments, all those sorts of things. Yep. I always get her to try them and she loves them. Yeah, she cool. really yeah. loves them and the fruited wild ours, all that sort of thing because her palate for so many years, like she's in the 40s, so for 20-odd years she's been drinking something, you know, within the within the wine sort of um, realm yep. and all of a sudden these beers are starting to cross over into that and she's really enjoying it. I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, I, I reckon the – the female palate is actually quite different to the male palate. So, and it probably goes back to hunter gatherer times where uh, they were, you know, the females were out picking berries and trying not to get the poisonous stuff. That they would pick things that weren't bitter, or that their palate would be geared to be more acidic and sweet than to bitter. Whereas men have probably no idea, and we're just eating whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think the, the female palate is probably a lot more refined in that aspect, and it probably is geared a lot more towards uh, sour beers. So, yeah, okay, mm. oh, nice. And and you're experimenting a fair bit with you know mixed ferments and wild ferments. Is that really where you want to take Dollar Bill? Yeah, I mean we've we do a lot of wild ferments. We do a lot of in just in barrel ferments. So we use our barrels as a kind of a, a wild inoculant. Um, so we go straight out of the brew house into the barrel. Uh, and the barrel does the work, which leads leads to a very, you know, quite acidic beer because it's mostly uh, lactic acid bacteria living in the barrel. You get a little bit of uh, wild yeast, residual wild yeast living in the in the wood, uh, a bit of brett, um, a very probably a very stressed ferment. So uh, leads to a different kind of uh, thing going on. Some barrels just don't work. Some barrels work really well. Um, we. Yep. It's a bit of a gamble, isn't it? Because yeah. you can put you can put the same beer into two barrels that are the you know same age, had the same things in all the time, and can get completely different results, can't you? Yep, hundred percent. And then it all just comes down to the the wood, the type of wood they've used, how the barrel's been treated in the past, what it's previously stored, all sorts of stuff. But our, our property, where we're leading with our property, is towards a more of a wild ferment uh, geared around the property. So we'd like to have. We've got about seven and a half acres. We've got a, a small cellar door, which isn't up and running yet, but hopefully by the end of the year. Uh, put in some fruit trees. We've got a couple of dams going in. We've got one dam at the moment, another dam going in. We'll stock that with fish. We'll hopefully get a, a little bit of a um, like a like a microbiome, uh, small microflora, you know, sink going on where we we're attracting the right kind of bugs for our our beer so and we'll like a winery like like the wineries doing in france they'll they'll encourage uh the correct winemaking uh yeast by manipulating their wines 
Oh, really? Those, yeah, and then putting the bus back onto or the mark back onto the um, the vineyard so that they're repeating yeah. that. And then the populations build up for the right uh, yeast. And so that's how they do yep. it wild ferments. <laughs> that's awesome. So are you going to try and propagate your own indigenous yeast and have it like as your, your house strain similar to what Will Tatchell's done with his Everton down in Tassie? Yeah, not really. We, we'll probably go for more of a, a organic kind of uh, okay. way of doing it where we just let the property be the yeast uh, so that when you start to use cool ships and that sort of stuff, yeah. So I know I know Will does a lot of cool ship stuff. He was saying that, um, yeah. He was he was talking about uh, the the wind blowing through the Barossa Valley and then pushing yeast down to Tassie on uh, certain certain wind directions. God, he, he which, talks some shit, doesn't oh, he? I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I love the idea. It's awesome. <laughs> that, that whole thing about the the weather. I remember I've seen something on one of his Instagrams one time talking about the um you know the storms or whatever doing that same sort of thing, and yep. it, it it sounds silly and wanky, but it's actually. <laughs> Legit, isn't yeah, it? It's fully legit, and I don't. You don't know how much uh, yeast is in the actual atmosphere. It's it's incredible the amount of little microbes that are flying around constantly around you. So it sounds to me like uh, instead of being scared of nature, you you are just completely embracing it yeah. and and loving taking that gamble. Oh, for sure, for sure. Like I mean, what's it cost? Cost very little to make actual work. It's the yep. the processing afterwards. So after yeah. you made your work. And then the processing afterwards, the care you take in, in getting it to the point where it's packaged and ready to drink, that's the hard part. So if we, you know, you have a few stuff ups along the way and you, you have to throw out a bit of beer, it's um, no biggie. You just keep moving and make more. Yeah, and, and that and that can hurt, obviously, especially in, you know, the current financial climate that we're in when you have to dump a batch of beer. But, you know, for every spectacular failure, you get a spectacular win, don't you? Yeah, um, sure. And it can be just based on... You can do the exact same process, but nature just says, no, nah, fuck you, I'm not going to let you win this time <laughs> or next time I'm going to give you something really amazing. Yep, yep. And it, it look, it's a lot of temperature, time, dependencies. If you don't have – if you if there's things that you can't control, like temperature, for example, or you know, if you need to push product out and you don't have that ability to let it sit for long enough, then you know, you've, you're at the will of, of, the, of nature of, of – Whatever you you've set up to yeah. control your system. So this this model of going wild or, or left to centre is becoming quite popular. I spoke with um, a guy called Mitch Ermatinger from Speciation Artisan Ales in Michigan a few months back. Yeah, and he, oh, you know him, do you? I actually, I heard, I, I listened into your um, podcast. Oh, yeah, thanks, mate. It's great. <laughs> yeah, he, he was. Oh, I love this stuff. It's just fascinating to me. Um, and I loved how he his whole approach was to go with this kind of you know the wild ales, wild ferments. So he's not competing just like a, a crowded session IPA type of market. Yeah, is that was that sort of your thinking a little bit as well? Yeah, yeah, completely. Look, we we didn't want to invest in a large amount of stainless steel. It's only only two of us. We didn't want to invest in you know fermentation tanks. Have to get all that uh, processes and controls correct and and have liabilities and stuff. We've, we've got three kids and uh, you know mortgage. You can't and, give them back. <laughs> you can't give them back. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you've got. You know things you've got to do. You've got to cover yeah, um, responsibilities. Sort of responsibilities, yeah. Um, so we didn't want to put our heads out in that aspect. So we thought, well, let's take a more artisan approach to it. 
produce something on a small scale that we can get out there and test the market, and it seems to have been received well. So we're pretty happy about that. Yeah, it is sort of a little bit of an exclusive club in the industry right now. Those of you that are experimenting in these ways, it's not mainstreamed yet. I mean, but you did have your own beer festival last year called Blobfish. Yeah. Do you think that you're on the cusp of maybe going from a niche segment into a mainstream in the not too distant future? Well, if um, America's any anything to kind of go by, it's yeah, it's growing, it's growing a yep. lot, and it won't stop. And it's um, it's definitely part part of the beer industry. Um, but I think it's part of the the whole uh, alcohol and, and beverage industry. There's there's more to it. You can't. It, what are the, the the big boys call it? Uh, throat space, don't they? So you've got yeah, share share of throat. Yeah, share yeah. of throat. So you've got you got the the gin industry is growing in in Australia. You've got uh, a whisk, a whole lot of people putting whiskey into barrels, which it takes time. It takes eight years before you can even yeah. release um, beer. Has just gone through the roof, and and sour beer is just a, like a small niche part of it. It will grow. Uh, I don't know how far it'll grow, but it'll definitely grow. What do you think is going to stop it getting there? Is it is it like price where we sort of have to get people used to paying? I'm going to say wine prices for beers made with these methods that can be a little bit difficult. Uh, look, we, we'd love to put out cheaper cheaper beer. It's not. <laughs> it's one of one of our beers. We just put out a beer this weekend or last weekend. Um, it's a cherry, a cherry sour, so it's called candy paint, but it it had that many cherries in it that we uh, basically, yeah, we're not making much money. We're making maybe yep. a, a dollar a bottle on the on the thing. Oh and wow! The time and the effort to put it into bottles and package it, yeah, label it and get it out to people was almost pointless. But <laughs> but it's good fun and and people get a chance <laughs> to try it. But yeah, if if you could reduce price on it, so we we can't even produce, and it comes back to I think. Um, you know the way that things are set up with excise and wet tax and, and bits and pieces, but the wine industry can yeah. produce very, very good cheap wine, uh, and we just can't. You can't compete with that. But then again, do we really want to compete with that? So no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's just it's an education thing, isn't it? Really, like somebody's happy to pay thirty bucks for a bottle of average wine. Why why can't they pay thirty bucks for a bottle of amazing beer that's you know, being it's taken twelve or eighteen months to cultivate and been swapped from here to there in barrels and blended and, you know, lovingly thought of and created and, you know, touched by nature. Yeah, exactly. That, that I think I think the idea of telling that story is some people don't quite get that part of it just yet. Um, but there are a few of you around that are that are doing doing that sort of thing. So maybe it's just a, a matter of time. Yeah, I, I think so. The really good wines, I know that they. The the best thing about really good wines is that they last in bottles. So you can put a good bottle of wine away for twenty years, still open it and go, oh my god, yeah. that thing is amazing. Uh, and it's yet to be seen with beer, but there's I know a bloke in the US. He produced. He was just a home brewer. He produced a, a batch of lambic, put it under his parents' stairs. Uh, left home, went away, did a career, had a kid. Uh, ended up coming back, finding that lambic sitting under his parents' stairs. Bottled it, entered it in a competition. It won a competition, and he was drinking it with his son, <laughs> who was twenty-one. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, oh wow! Well. And it was made before his son was born. It's crazy. What a great story. Yeah. What a great story. I, I also sometimes think to myself that maybe the flavors that we're talking about saying something like this here today might be they're sort of they are polarizing. They're not for everybody, which is fine. But I think it's sometimes people don't realize that this is beer. Is it is the the flavor not what they expect from beer? And I'm using air quotes for that. 
they expect beer to be a certain type of thing, and this is not beer to many people, and that's again an education thing. Yeah, for sure, it's it yeah. is, uh, but it's also look, we're still emerging from uh, a two what two brewery kind of society where we had yep. in Victoria we had uh, Lion Nathan and, and CUB, and that was about it yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Tui's was there, and then yeah, they got bought out. But you know, that's that's where we're coming out of, and it's still only a couple of you know maybe a couple of decades out of that. So people are still hanging on to that idea that beer needs to be bland and bitter and uh, drink half a slab a night kind of thing. So. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, if things do start to explode, do you feel like you're, you're well placed to take advantage of that? Uh, not at all. We'll still be struggling to put stuff into bottles and get it out to people. To be honest, it's um, we we can't we really can't produce as much as we want to or have demand for. Yep. it's um, we need we'd need to upscale our equipment quite considerably. Uh, I think what the the people in the US have done, uh, New Belgium, for example, they uh, they started investing in large fudras, which are very large, uh, four thousand to ten thousand liter oak uh, vats. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, they take a little bit more time to kind of process the the beers in the right way. So uh, a little, the slower the micro micro oxidation that occurs with the barrels, a bit slower because of the, the increased surface area, but uh, it allows you to kind of fill it up with a lot more beer, and you can do a lot more oh, process right. a lot more beer at once. So, um, but they, yeah, I think Vin Folly was their their game changing beer, where they okay. they started bottling it and release uh, reduced the price on it, so that it was quite a lot more accessible to everyone. Yep. But um, according to what's happening in the US, people don't really want to drink cheap sour beer; they want to drink expensive bottles. No, of good it, quality it does. Beer, so. And look, I think we're starting to see a little bit of that here as well. Like you see what, say, Topher, who's the, the poster child for this stuff at the moment in yeah, Australia, sure. yep. you know, his, his beers are wine prices and they're very popular. Yeah, he does well. His, his branding's magnificent. His beers are magnificent. Um, yeah, it's uh, incredible. What he, what he does is incredible. And he's really – he and I didn't know I didn't know about Wildflower when we kind of started. We – He's definitely gone down that organic path of, of trying to be kind of like wine in that world where we've yep. gone the complete opposite kind of yeah. path where we're just trying not to be like wine. So, yep. Yep. Yeah, it's an interest, interesting play there because yep. um, I, I think I think beer's got place in, in both drinkers' worlds, if you like. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Yep. Who, um, who's inspiring you uh, these days in terms of, you know, doing similar stuff to you? Uh got a, a fair few. There's some um, a bloke in uh New Zealand, uh Craftworks in New Zealand. Uh okay. also a bloke called uh, Nine Barnyard Owls. He, he does a bit of Instagram posting, he's doing some interesting Nine, stuff. Was it Nine Barnyard Owls? Yeah, yeah. Just very small. <laughs> he, yeah, he's always <laughs> he did a, a a good post on on why he's called Nine Barnyard Owls and it was something to do with the um the owls where he, he makes Beer at his parents' farm, and he puts it into cool ships, and then these owls come down, and they eat the insects that fly around the um the the cool ship at night. And <laughs> yeah, how cool! Yeah, um, him. Uh, there's quite a few U.S. brewers. Um, 
probably too many to talk about. Um, yeah. Belgium's Cantillon's always a, a classic um, yep. example of, of what uh, the the style should be. Um, just balance the acidity with the uh, you know the the bread characters and the the age. You can actually taste the age uh, in their their beverages. So um, that's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, incredible. That is awesome. I'm uh, going to enjoy a uh, a Trillium beer tonight, which uh, we got when we were in Boston um, two years ago, whenever it was. And uh, it was one of those beers where well, we, should, we went. We went to there. I don't think they served any wine, and so my wife had to had to drink something. So she was drinking these, you know, oak aged um, fruited sours and that sort of thing through yep. them, and uh, just loved them. I I literally put one away and I'd forgotten about it. Yep. And I just found it this afternoon when I was going in to get the the parlay. Actually, um, I just was fosking around at the back of the other. I've got a couple. Of, I've got too many fridges, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and I found you, this one. How'd your fridge at your, your shack go? Did that it was still running. Yeah, there's the fridge was still running, thankfully. And I, I've, I've, you know, because I have I have a beer fridge down there, so I was like, oh, I forgot I put that one in there, and yeah. I thought, oh, I'll bring that one home with me because I won't yeah, be no. back for a little while. So, yeah. way way too many fridges going around in my place. So, but it was a, it was a nice relaxing weekend. So, and uh, awesome. but I, I was absolutely hanging out to get back here to enjoy this uh, this parlay with you, and it's been an absolutely sensational beer, mate. I've just I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've, I've had to keep a little bit for my wife yeah, <laughs> once cool. I get off this call. <laughs> so, yeah, no, Ripper. So, mate, what about what is – like obviously you've you've got through COVID thereabouts a little bit on scale. You know, you've had a rough couple of months. Yeah. What, uh, what are you looking forward to, you know, moving forward? Uh, look, we just started a, um, a, a beer membership club. So we've actually just oh, released nice. this weekend, which is um, – Pretty exciting. We've, we're offering, you know, basically subscribers uh, a whole range of beers over over the year that we're not we're not going to release to bottle shops or um, bars. So there'll be exclusive kind of blends. That perfectly suits what you're doing, doesn't it? That whole, you know, the really highly engaged people who are willing to pay a little bit more for these amazingly handcrafted beers. Yep. That that uh, you know the mail order model, whatever you call it, just seems to really work. For, for people such as yourselves, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it, it allows me to kind of do smaller blends and stuff. If, if we release to a bottle shop, I've got to go through the rigors of uh, labeling, yep, uh, packaging, delivering, uh, and ensuring that we have enough supply for all the bottle shops that we and, and places that we yep. deal with. So this kind of allows us to, to do smaller batches, single barrel batches that, uh, you know, Either have are too good to blend in, or just won't work with the blends that we do. And it, yeah, it's it, we kind of we put it at two hundred people. So if I take a barrel and I batch it out and bottle, you know, two hundred bottles out of it, um, then we can send it out to everyone, and, and everyone's uh, people are going to lose their mind for that. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Did Did you hear on that interview when I had uh, with Mitch where he talked about? Um, their beers and using Eventbrite to um, to to get your bottle at the at the brewery that sort of thing. Did you no, hear about that? I missed that part. No. Yeah, no. It's, it's an, yeah. So he's. I think it was Eventbrite that he was using to basically sell his beer. Okay. So you would you would buy a, a a ticket if you like. Yep. And then once a month they'd open up the brewery. And the person had bought their ticket along, and they exchanged that for their bottle of the special release. Okay, cool, Am- amazing model. Like you know, just really great for working out you know how much they needed, and uh, you know, building building hype around it, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Just, just brilliant. I, th- I, th- I think that with 
with people such as yourselves where you've got these beers that are a little bit different, a bit left of center and and something that, you know, there could be a bit of hype about these, jump on the hype train, that sort of thing. I think it's a it's a great model. Yeah, we because- might um might have to in, in- involve that model in uh, when we open our cellar door because I think that's that's probably more where we'd be looking. I don't think Australia. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, probably not quite there yet. But with our cellar no. door, <laughs> no. um, knowing who's who's coming and the number of people coming will make us uh, provide us with a better understanding of what what money we can spend to provide for them, so that we're not yep. overspending and yet not uh, yeah you know, underspending or not catering yep. for enough to. So, will you have a, a kitchen operating with the new cellar door? Uh, initially, no. We're, we're looking at possibly putting an outdoor uh, Perea style grill, so an Argentinian kind of barbecue. Oh, um, yeah. nice. I, I believe getting your, your outdoor kitchens a license are a lot easier. So, um, yep. And we'll just get somebody on the grill cooking uh, meat and salads and bits and pieces and nibbles. So, yeah, nice. Nice. Mate, there's. Plenty going on. Plenty yeah, going on. Yeah, it's great, going on. It is great to hear. Great to hear. <laughs> much like much like one of your labels, there's there's lots of uh, depth and intricacy to what you're up to, and I, yeah. I bloody love it. It's yeah. great. So great to hear your story that uh, there's someone else outside of the poster child doing great things in this space. <laughs> and I, I say that tongue in cheek because I think what Topher's doing is absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's but it's, it's, it's nice to know that there's there's others and that maybe there's a a market being built uh, for like-minded individuals with these amazingly. Uh, you know, complex beers. It's great stuff. Yeah, well, great the, stuff. Um, the community's behind us. We got we got a love, lot of love from our local community. We got a lot of love from our Melbourne uh, beer family. We call them. Um, and yeah, there is. There's. If uh, I've I've always said, if everyone's uh, in the industry, we're all a big family, and it, it's it's really not us against each other. We're all in it to elevate yeah. each other. Um, Absolutely. It's probably more yeah. us versus the, the big boys, the big corporate boys yep. and um, corporate Australia, which, you know, the, the, they've just been allowed to, you know, take over. Or so Asahi's now taking over all CUB's contracts and so now you'll see all all the taps that uh, CUB used to have will have now Asahi taps next to them. So all your brands in, in any pub with a, there's yeah. contracts will be a complete range of um breweries that have, have sold to the, the big boys. So. Well, I think what you're doing, which is uh, shying away from that and putting out these amazing little bottles and limited releases and the cool one-offs, I think it's I think it's a great business model um, that, uh, yeah, we should should really provide, you know, some of the drinkers out there with some real interesting stuff in the in the coming months. So um, what, do, what do I have to call you? I have to call you the font of, the font of all knowledge, Ed Noel. Uh, <laughs> no, you, you don't have to. That was, that was Craig doing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Probably. Thanks, thanks for joining me today, mate, and sharing your story because it's an awesome one. And uh, everybody get on to, is it dollarbill.com.au? Yep. Yep, yep. And uh, they can uh, jump on there and hopefully maybe join your club and, and get some of those really cool releases coming out because uh, I can I can say from, from this afternoon's tasting of the Parlay, absolutely ripping beers. So Beautiful. thanks for your time, mate. Uh, thanks for having us, Chris. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have an interesting beer story and want to be a guest on the Beer Healer interviews, send me a message via my Facebook page. And once again, if you want to help out the show, a simple rate and review on Apple Podcasts or a follow, like or share on any other podcast service will do the trick. I'll catch you soon.